Our scripture reading this evening is from Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. Please join me in reading. Um, I'll read along with me on page 12 in your worship bulletin. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoices at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's um, boast, excuse me, boat used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forward forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that testifies to the light that has shined into the darkness. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, may you shine the light of your word into our darkness, fill me and all of us, that we would not just hear your word, but be changed by it and respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all have, I'm sure, family Christmas traditions that we can speak about. I'm sure that some of you have already done some of them this evening. Maybe even being here is a part of them. And we have Christmas traditions in my family as well. And one of them is to fight about Christmas lights. This is one of the great uh, Widmer family traditions that every year when we get ready to put up the tree, uh, we get in an argument as a family about whether it is right to put tiny white lights on the Christmas tree or large multicolored lights on the Christmas tree. Has anyone else have ever had this argument in their family? Um, it actually, it, you know, now our family has grown. There's six of us, and so it becomes quite a debate. We actually had to have a vote this year uh, to decide what would happen. And so I thought I would actually get a vote from you just to demonstrate to my family who is here tonight who is actually in the right in this vote. <laughs> so, so of those of you that are here, Um, Who votes that you should actually put tiny white lights on the Christmas tree? Wow, okay. Um, And who votes that you should put the large multicolored lights? Yeah, man. They clearly have it. I saw you up there, brother. Saw your great enthusiasm. No, it's it's funny. Um, You know, we have this argument every year, but nobody ever votes or argues for putting something other than lights on the tree. Like... No one ever argues for seashells or donuts or Legos or anything other than lights because lights are a part of Christmas. They always have been. Nobody really knows 
how that tradition got started, um, one legend has it that Martin Luther, the great reformer, was walking home one night writing a sermon, a Christmas Eve sermon, um, in the cold, dark, rural areas of Germany, and he looked up and he saw uh, this beautiful starscape behind the evergreen trees, and he was so moved by this, and it brought him to this image of this nativity that he cut down a tree, brought it into his house, and put lights on the tree to simulate the whole thing for his family. So we're not exactly sure how this happened, but we do know that by 17th, 18th century, families in Europe were doing this. Of course, this was before electricity. So what they would do is that they would put candles on the tree. And because this was so dangerous, they could only do it for several minutes each day. And when they lit the candles, they would have in hand buckets of sand and water to throw on the tree when the tree caught fire. Now that's a tradition <laughs> I could embrace. So, so we don't know how this happened, but here's what we know is that light has always been a symbol of hope. Light in the darkness. This has always been a, a symbol of hope for humanity, almost as long as humanity has existed. We long and wait for the light. Of all the passages that we have looked at as a church family over these last month in Isaiah, this one is probably the most famous that speaks about the coming of the Messiah. And at the heart of it, you heard when Beth read it, at the heart of it, it are these themes of darkness and light. Light and darkness, darkness and light. So I just want to briefly look at those two things with you as a theme for us this Christmas night, darkness and light. First, let's look at the darkness. We've got to begin here. I know it sounds weird at Christmas talking about darkness, but in some ways, Christmas is about darkness before it is about light. There's a reason why tradition put Christmas right alongside winter, the winter solstice, which is the longest and deepest night of the year. A light isn't really bright unless the dark is deep. And good news isn't really good unless the other news is bad. And so that's where this passage begins. It says the people walking in darkness, those living in the land of shadow or the land of deep darkness. It says this is our situation, that we are a people dwelling and living in darkness. What is the darkness that this passage speaks about? There's several layers of this if you look at the context. First of all, there's darkness around us. This is the most obvious application of this text. The people of Israel at this time were really suffering political oppression, physical and economic and, and all sorts of social deterioration. Circumstances were really bad. They, they looked around them at the time and all they saw was brokenness, pain, instability, and suffering, darkness. And we'd like to think, I, I think, that we have made a lot of progress in, in a couple of millennia, haven't we? And that we don't suffer from these kinds of social problems anymore. But let's be honest, not much has changed. If we just look at 2016 alone, we have seen countless mass shootings, terrorist attacks, rising poverty and hunger rates, political instability, deep social and racial divides, not even to mention all the personal forms of suffering and pain that you all have endured this past year. And that's just one year. You widen the lens a bit, you look at the last hundred years, they were the most brutal and violent hundred years on human history's record. So it sure doesn't look like we humans are doing a whole lot to stomp out the darkness. For all of our ingenuity and our progress and our technological advancement, the darkness only thickens. There's darkness around us, but the passage also speaks about the darkness within us. There's not just darkness out there, but there's darkness in here. There is something in each of us, this deep-seated self-centeredness and capacity for evil and inclination towards envy and greed and self-preservation that keeps us all behaving over and over again like we don't want to behave. 
You know, it, it, it's, it's interesting being a preacher because every once in a while I will, um, in the, from, from up here, from the pulpit in a sermon or something, I will talk about a personal struggle or a personal weakness or a struggle with anxiety or stress or fear or temptation or whatever it may be. And what's so interesting to me is that I get more comments from people on those occasions when I speak about a personal struggle than any other time. And what people do is they come up to me and say, thank you. I am so glad to know that my pastor is so messed up. (laughs) And I'm not ever quite sure how to respond to that. But what I think they mean is, I thought it was just me. I, I thought that when I looked at the darkness that I see within my own soul, that it was just me who was messed up like this. But it's not, friends. We all have these things deep in us that cause great harm to ourselves and great harm to other people, these deep, dark places in our souls that are too dark and too embarrassing and even shameful to name, even to your spouses, even to your best friends. You know this, the darkness is inside of us. And not only that, the darkness is upon us. This passage says, those living in the land, you want to know the literal translation? It's kind of, I, sh- I feel like I shouldn't say this on Christmas Eve, but I'm sorry, this is, I just have to say this because this is what the Bible says. Those living in the death shadow. The death shadow. It is speaking about the inevitable, inescapable trajectory and movement that all of us are on towards stone-cold death. For all of our medical advancements and all of our technological progress, which is truly amazing, the death rate still hasn't changed. It's still one per person, as far as I can tell. <laughs> and there's no stopping it. It's inevitable. They're, they're all of us, you know, our, our bodies, our relationships, our world, the universe, the sun, everything in it, on this increasing entropic movement towards death. Do you remember a few years ago when those Chilean miners uh, were, were trapped? 33 miners in Chile were trapped in a mine 2,300 feet underground for 69 days. Can you imagine? And, and, they, and they, they got out, all 33 of them. And after they were, they were got out, they, they, they were interviewing them, and they said, you know, it was horrible. We were starving. We were dying of thirst. There was fungus. There was bacteria. We were suffering. There was cramping. It was horrible. But they said the very worst thing of all. Do you know what they said? They said, the deep down dark. We couldn't get out. And this is what Isaiah says is our situation as a human race, that we are people walking in darkness. Now, don't worry. I know some of you are elbowing the person next to you and saying, why did you bring me here? <laughs> um, don't fear, friends. That was just point one, okay? Because we have to move to the light. So the question is, if we're in this deep down dark, where do we get the light from? Where do we find the light? And Here's what the world says, especially at Christmas time. Get it from the inside. Reach down and find the light within and spread it around. That's the Christmas spirit. Join hands, spread goodwill, shed the light to the darkness of the world. Uh, I remember when I was eight years old, I was watching on TV. Not sure why my parents let me watch this, but I was watching the Live Aid concert in 1985. Did any of y'all Gen Xers in the house remember that? Live Aid concert, 1985, all these musicians on the stage. And they were singing, we are the world. Remember that? We are the children. We are the ones who make a better day, so let's start giving. 
Very inspirational. So on the stage was Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan was looking incredibly uncomfortable and incredibly awkward. And I know Dylan always looks awkward, but he looked even more awkward than normal. He was on the stage dripping with this discomfort. And afterwards, at the press conference, the reporter went up to him and said, Mr. Dylan, why did you appear to be so uncomfortable during the singing of that song? And this is what he said. He said, humankind. Well, sorry, I'll try to say it like Bob Dylan. He said, humankind cannot save itself. Humankind cannot save itself. So the message of the world, here's we sing it on the stage, make the world, we make the world a brighter place. And here's Mr. Dylan saying, humankind cannot save itself. And do you know, friends, I think, I think the poet is right. Note the verbs in this, in this text. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On them, the light has dawned. It says they saw it. They encountered it. They didn't create it. They didn't ignite it. They didn't, they didn't contrive it. They didn't kindle it. They saw it. It flashed down upon them. Like the miners waiting 3,000 feet underground, unable to do anything but wait for that drill to pierce through and blast that light upon them. There is nothing we can do to cultivate the light from within the cavity of our own darkness. We cannot bring up the darkness within. It must come from without, from outside of us, breaking down upon us. And that is what this text says happened, that on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned, and the source of the light is this child. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, the source of the light. Now, I I have four kids, and I was super excited when each of my kids were born happy, ecstatic. I wanted to tell everybody. But never once was I tempted to run out into the halls of the, of the hospital and say, hey, everybody, to you, a child is born. You know, I didn't get on my Facebook wall and type, you know, everybody, to you, a child is born. No, it's my baby. It's Sarah's baby. It's our child. It is not for you. It is ours. And yet of this child, Jesus, the angels say to these dirty shepherds, to you, a child is born. To us, Isaiah says, a son is given. This child is not belonging to these parents, Mary and Joseph. It is to you, to every man, to every woman, to everyone dwelling in the land of deep darkness, this son is given. And check out these names, right? We, choose, we chose our kids' names. We all choose our kids' names very carefully. We want them to represent our family and, and the child that we see. Yeah, look at these names. He shall be called Mighty God. Hope that wasn't on your name list for your kid. Mighty God. <laughs> Everlasting Father. That means the source of all. Every, all life that originates, originates in him. The prince of, literally in Hebrew, shalom. The prince, of, the, the prince who makes all that is broken right. The one who makes all that is healed, all that is bent healed. The one that makes all that is dark light. This child is God with us, God for us, God among us. The one outside of us breaking in to the darkness that captives, captives us. So look, the message of Christmas isn't, oh, let's spread goodwill and come together and make the world a better place. It is light comes into the world through God the Son, given by God the Father, all given in love. That if the Son were not given, there would be no light for the world at all, but in God's great love, he has broken through into the cavern of our darkness. And, and this Son has come to 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 live and die and rise for us so that the darkness of our sin can be forgiven within us. And, and the darkness 
of our death upon us can be reversed so that we can live in a healed world forever and so that the darkness even of the earth itself will one day be reversed and lifted. To us, a son is given. Dylan is right. Isaiah is right. This is why Christmas is such a big deal. This is why we sing, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. So what do we do with this? If this is true. I know, not a, I know some of you don't even believe this is true. And that's cool. We're just glad you're here. But what do we do if it is true? I just want to suggest a few things. First, I do think you have to do something with Jesus, regardless of why you're here. The sentimentality of Christmas is strong, right? We, we like it. We just, it's very easy to keep Jesus as the little baby. I can't not say this reference, you know, like Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights. <laughs> Remember Talladega Nights, Will Ferrell? Ricky Bobby's praying, dear Lord, sweet baby Jesus. And his wife interrupts and says, Ricky Bobby, Jesus is not a baby anymore. He grows up, you know, and he said, well, I like to pray to the baby Christmas Jesus. <laughs> and many times, this is, this is what we like to do. It's very easy, especially if you're, you're, you don't come to church very much, and this is sort of new, just to sort of keep Jesus as the cute little baby Jesus in the manger. And that keeps him safe. But Christmas won't let you do that. These names won't let you do that, right? Mighty God, everlasting Father. John Stott said that people reacted to Jesus in three ways. Either they were scared of him and ran away, or they hated him and they wanted to kill him, or they loved him and they worshiped him. And even you see from the time he is a little baby, on the one hand, you've got the shepherds worshiping him and you've got Herod sending out his bounty hunters to murder him. This is the way people respond to Jesus. Either loved him or hated him or scared of him, but nobody's indifferent. Nobody just liked him and thought he was cute. So I, I don't know why you're here. I know that some of you are here because your families brought you here and you probably wish you weren't here. I know that some of you are here because you feel obligated to be here. I, honestly, a lot of you I've never seen before. And I'm just super grateful that you're here. We all are. And here's what I want to say to you. It is not an accident that you're here. And you have heard this message now. And so you've got to do something with it. And one thing you can't do is be indifferent. You can't walk away and be indifferent about this person who was given the name Mighty God. So you've got to do something. And I, I just want to con- invite you to consider that maybe 2017 is the year where you figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. Either reject him or worship him, but you've got to figure out what you're going to do with him. If you want to do that here with us at 3rd, we would love for you to do that. Skeptics are welcome here. People who don't know what they think or believe are welcome here. I just, you've got to do it. I don't care if it's here. I don't care if it's in the church. I don't care if it's at Panera with a book. I really don't care. But here's the thing. You've got to figure out what you're going to do with this person. What will you do with him? The second thing is this. Never lose hope. If this is true, it means, yes, this world is a very dark place. And yet the coming of Jesus shows us that no one and nothing is ever beyond hope. Nothing, no one is ever in a place too dark and deep for the light of Jesus not to shine deeper still. That is what this means, friends. That is what this means. I mean, I love this name, Wonderful Counselor. Isn't that an amazing name? In seminary, when I took a counseling class, they kept saying over and over again, the number one rule of counseling is this, never get personally involved. Never. That was some seriously bad advice. You know this, 
the best counselors in your life have been those who've been personally involved, right? And yet look at Jesus. Look, he pushes past all the boundaries of professionalism of counseling. And he is the wonder counselor. He wraps himself up with the totality of the human experience, even going unto death. Are you lonely? So is he. Are you struggling financially? So is he. Are you homeless? Are you a refugee? So is he. Do you have a dysfunctional family? So did he. Are you anxious? So is he. Have you been betrayed by someone that you love? So is he. Have you been unjustly treated or unjustly tried? So was he. This is the man who suffered weakness and suffering and pain and abandonment, unjust trial and execution, and even went beyond anything that any of us will ever know and suffered the judgment of hell on the cross. And why did he do this? So that God the Son could enter into the darkness of the human experience to bring light on every single thing that could ever destroy us. And because he did this, You must never lose hope. I said it to a friend this week. Never lose hope. I have some friends. We have some friends as a church who live in Aleppo, Syria. Two years ago, their church, First Presbyterian Church of Aleppo, several years ago, 2012, the church was bombed. In those intervening years, especially even in the last two weeks, as you've seen the news, Children have been killed, women have been killed, schools have been destroyed. And yet here are the people of Aleppo, the people of First Presbyterian Church, Aleppo. This is a picture of them just a couple of weeks ago doing what we are about to do in a few minutes, passing the light and holding it out as a witness to hope. Now here's what I want to say to you, friends. If people who are literally staring death and destruction in the face can hold out the light of Jesus in great hope, then there is nothing in your life that could undo you. They are a witness to us that you can never be in a hole too deep that the light of Jesus cannot shine deeper still. So don't lose hope. And the last thing I'll say is this, is that we must shine a light. Yes, the message of Christmas is that we do not bring light into our world. Only God through Jesus can do that and has done that. But here's the amazing good news, that when you believe in Jesus, as I hope maybe even some of you would do tonight, as you, when you believe in Jesus and are filled with his Holy Spirit and are connected to him, his light actually begins to fill you. And you become a light bearer for others. As Paul said, shine, we shine like bright stars in the dark world. Pastor Ibrahim of the Church of Aleppo wrote this letter last week. And I received it via email. He said, this Christmas season, we promise to continue our ministry as a church and to be a sign of light in this dark time. We will plant joy in the life of our society. We will never cease to serve, to worship, to love, and to meet the needs of marginalized people. And we can do this not because we are the light, but because we are connected to the source. Desmond Tutu once said, we are only the light bulbs Our job is merely to stay screwed in tight to the source. And so I want to invite you to do that. I think I lost my light bulb. But I just want you to consider that maybe even this year, as you take that light bulb um, off your tree, um, that you would perhaps take one of those light bulbs, and instead of sticking it in the box in your attic, you would take one of those bulbs, and you would just keep it with you. You would put it on your nightstand, put it in a box in your dresser, and you would let it be a reminder to you that Jesus and Jesus alone is the light in your darkness and that connected to him, you may be a light for the darkness of others. 
This is our calling, brothers and sisters. This is our calling in this dark world. So tonight, will you let Jesus flood your life afresh with his light? And will you then turn and let that light be flooded to others? This flower, whose fragrance tender with sweetness fills the air, dispels the glorious splendor of darkness everywhere. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We do thank you, holy God, that you have not left us in the cavern of our darkness, but that you have shined the light of Jesus coming from beyond us to be with us. And that in this child, this child born to a uh, impoverished teenage woman, you have indeed brought the light of God into the world, embracing every, every dimension of our dark experience. So I do pray for anyone here tonight who is experiencing darkness. We know there are many among us tonight who are experiencing um, sickness or depression, anxiety or fear, uh, poverty or desperation, perhaps contemplating suicide. There are those here tonight facing divorce and death. Oh God, bring your light into the darkness, even in our own lives tonight, we pray. And fill us with such light that we would then be a light for our neighbors, our family, our friends, and our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.